0: Hi, this is Megan Clark, Managing Editor of Religion Unplugged. I'm in Noida today, outside New Delhi, with my friend and colleague Vishal Arora. Vishal is an independent journalist and a board member of The Media Project. He's also founded a journalist collective called Stories Asia, found at storiesasia.org. We wanted to catch up with Vishal to unpack the recent unrest in India, and the Hindu nationalist movement that has some people proud of Indian culture, but others fearing for democracy. As of a few minutes ago, the BJP and its coalition partners are leading by a long way, 347 seats, a clear majority, The Indian National Congress and its allies trail behind on 87 seats.
1: A law meant to provide protection against persecution is fueling violence in India. And these are some of these scenes unfolding across the country as protests spread against the Citizenship Amendment Act. There were many corruption cases that emerged. The Congress party took people for granted. They thought that they had no major political threat. But people in 2014, voters generally elected the BJP, despite its uh, image of being a divisive party, because at that time, the main issue was corruption. The BJP took advantage of that and mostly promised economic reforms or economic growth in 2014 and a corruption free uh, government. But what we actually saw later was that that promise was not true. Uh, Corruption cases re-emerged under the Modi administration. And in 2017, people wanted to give more time to the government, hoping that perhaps, you know, uh, Mr. Modi needs more time to work on India's economy and Uh, What the people have got, I would say, is a sense of pride for being Indians. We need to understand that the majority of Indians are poor and uh, people have aspirations here. And they want to be proud of something. So this government exploited their aspirations and gave them a reason to be proud of themselves. In one sense, you could say that the government told the people that uh, you may not have a house to live. You may not have enough food to eat. But remember that you are Indian, Mm -hmm. that it's not just your individual identity that matters, but your identity as an Indian. That look at how Mr. Modi has been traveling around the world, that the world takes India more seriously now, uh, that uh, India is superior to other nations, that if you look at uh, Indian culture or if you look at yoga, etc., you know, that the world is acknowledging the greatness of India and you are an Indian, so be proud of yourself. And I would say that many people have started believing that. They don't ask deeper questions. I'll give you one example. Just the day before we were traveling to uh, Srinagar in Kashmir to cover uh, protests there, we wanted uh, to have press written on our helmets and on our sweatshirts that we were to use there. And the painter uh, just was asking us that, oh, okay, so you must be going to Kashmir. And we said, yes, how do you have to you You know? He said, where else would you go uh, with these helmets? Because you have stone pelters there, etc. And then he also remarked that, you know, mark my words that even Pakistan-occupied Kashmir will be ours very soon. So I asked him a question that... Let's say uh, Pakistan occupied Kashmir also becomes uh, India's part. How will you personally be benefited by that? And he, was, he, he didn't have any answer. So I think Indians are not uh, asking this question that how am I being benefited by uh, all these sentiments that the government is trying to Uh, give them, you know, my situation has not improved, Uh, economy has not improved, Um, joblessness remains very extremely high. My hypothesis is that Indians are also eating less because of food inflation. While our personal lives are not improving, our sense of pride seems to be very high. And we, are, we need to ask this question, I think. It does not benefit me in any manner. It does benefit the government, the current government. So my rights are being taken away. You know, that the, I mean, from the voters' point of view, that the, the government that they elected is beating them on the streets if they want to um, raise their voices against... Uh, the grievances that they have against uh, the government.
0: And in the, in the past six months or so, especially lately, there has been a growing discontent with Prime Minister Modi and the BJP, um, starting with a lockdown on Kashmir, uh, which has continued, but also um, with the recent Citizenship Amendment Act, which singles out Muslim migrants from nearby countries, and, um, not being able to get citizenship, while Hindus and Christians, Sikhs, Buddhists, um, and Jains would be able to get citizenship um, fast-tracked. So it does seem like a lot of people support these changes. At the same time, there are mass protests and social media is pretty divided. So how do you make sense of how people are feeling about this government are people afraid to say what they really think uh, what are people saying
1: generally speaking i would say that people are deeply divided over these issues that you mentioned uh, one thing that you would notice is that in each uh, thing that you have mentioned it's about muslims so uh What this government is doing is that they are targeting Muslims as they had uh, indicated uh, during the election as well, not directly. But then there were voices within the BJP that very clearly said that if we come to power, India will become a Hindu nation. Both in 2014 and in 2017, uh, you know, BJP's image remained as uh, as a party that is for Hindus and that seeks to uh, project minorities, especially Muslims and Christians, as foreigners and that they should not have equal rights as Hindus have.
0: So when you went to Kashmir to cover the protests, and we published one of those stories at Religion Unplugged with a photo essay, uh, what did you see happening there? A lot of Indian media had reported initially that everything was peaceful, that there were no problems, there was no protest. Um, then videos came out that showed the protests. Then the narrative was that any violence that happened was in reaction to the protesters'
1: attacking police. So when we arrived in Kashmir, we did find that uh, it was peaceful, quote-unquote. That's because most of their local leaders had been under house arrest. Hundreds of youth had been detained uh, as a preventive measure. And wherever you went, you would see, you know, security forces checking your vehicle asking you questions but there was one area in srinagar called sora that we wanted to go to where protests were happening because the people of sora had not allowed any indian security personnel to enter their area they had installed barricades the youth were guarding the barricades uh, during the night and during the day and Indian security forces had been making attempts after attempts to break in to their area, but they had been successful. So the day we went there turned out to be the most uh, violent uh, thus far. So there was this Friday prayer that took place uh, in the morning and which went on, say, until about noon or past noon. And after the prayer was over, the congregation or the uh, worshippers came out within the premises of the mosque. They started shouting slogans against India in response to the revocation of the autonomy. Even as they were doing that, we saw that a drone was sent by uh, the Indian security forces to see what was happening there. And when they realized that the protests were taking place, although within the premises of that mosque. So we saw that while they were still shouting slogans, Indian security forces fired. I think it was a tear gas or it was a pallet gun. I'm not too sure. And as soon as the local people heard the sound of firing, they ran towards uh, the security forces, instead of running away, to respond to it. Yeah, that's very, very interesting, including children, old women, young women, young girls, you know, all of them, a huge crowd ran towards uh, the Indian security forces. And then they started uh, firing more and more. There were people that we could see, we were about six of us, So we could see that people were being uh, fired at, they were uh, injured, about 50 people received injuries, pellet gun injuries that day. And they were people who were just, you know, somebody who is standing next to me, is hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And most of us were hit by uh, tear gas as well, and it was not uh, the usual tear gas in my opinion because uh, we couldn't breathe when we were hit by it. In fact, all of us, you know, all the journalists and photojournalists, um, we couldn't uh, open our eyes because they were also chili grenades that were thrown at us. We couldn't. It was difficult for us to walk because we couldn't breathe, we couldn't see. It was very difficult for us to decide what to do. You know, where should we sit here because there is smoke everywhere and we can see a huge, uh, you know, sound of, uh, you know, I don't know, firing, I would say, whatever it was. And there was also bullets. Bullets were also, yes, not just the pallet guns. Right, right. Yeah. So they're also bullets fired. Yeah. And then after that, it was extremely difficult for us to get out of the area. I mean, I felt very strange that, you know, even as a non Kashmiri, uh, you know, my I felt and most of our uh, colleagues felt that our lives were at risk thanks to uh, Indian security forces. Oh, what, what am I doing it's your there? Country's army. Exactly, exactly. My country's army. And it was Kashmiri people who were uh, telling us how to get out of the area safely. So we felt very strange that why are we under attack? Just because we want to show what's happening to the world, uh, who is with us and who is against us. So it was a very strange kind of a feeling. And if. Uh, Let's say Indian forces say that uh, you should have covered it from our side. Allow us, I would say. And we will do that. You know, if you you shoot at us. No, I mean, there was no question. I mean, there was no question that we could have asked. Mm -hmm. So if you don't allow us any access, and if you don't allow us to be near you, how do you expect that we cover your side of the story? Yeah, even for us, there was no phone either. So there was absolutely no way how we could even contact each other or to ask each other that if, uh, you know, our colleagues were fine. So we we actually had a sense of what it means to be a Kashmiri that day.
0: You also have reported um, on the protests against the Citizenship Amendment Act in Delhi. I think you went to the university campus where some attacks happened and you spoke to college students there, younger students who were attacked and had um, pretty bad injuries. So tell us about what types of people have you seen protesting um, at these events? And I know they're not all Muslim.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, protesters are not all Muslims. I would say that many young people are trying to raise their voices not just against CAA or NRC. We would be wrong to say that these protests are only about that because if you go there and read the placards and the posters and the banners that protesters are carrying, they are talking about the general atmosphere in the country, which has become so divisive. And uh, the government... uh, Seems to be, uh, seems to have become authoritarian. You know, taking decisions which are so drastic. Um, so I would say that these protests are more about general grievances, or we could say that what young people, at least in India, are saying is that CAA and NRC are the last straw for them. You know what they have been seeing this government doing. Uh, So they just want to say enough is enough. It's not just about Muslims or communists. It's not just about these uh, laws, new laws that the government uh, has brought in and is proposing. What we need to notice is that this government is going after students, universities. Most of the universities are under attack. It's because it seems to me that this government does not want India to receive education or to think. It wants people of the country to focus on developing skills and not think much, not receive education, not go for higher education. Children of business people should receive education because they would be money minded. If poorer people receive education then they will ask questions and this is what this government does not want. Because the more we are educated, the more we will question the narratives that this government is using to uh, seek support from people.
0: And of course this affects everyone no matter what religion you are.
1: Absolutely, everyone, every citizen. I would say.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for telling us all this, Um, especially your stories from the ground. It's really enlightening. And I hope that people outside India can understand these issues more because they're really important, um, especially in the world of religion. reporting. So thank you so much for
1: telling us. Thank you so much, Megan.
0: This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by Megan Clark, Edited and produced by Peter Freeby. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of ReligionUnplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award winning global religion news coverage, or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit ReligionUnplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.